You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Good morning and welcome to the Business Hour. I'm Ron Camacho, your host. And today the business at hand is the business of, of emergency medicine. We often take it for granted in the United States uh, because emergency medical care is considered uh, to be uh, a field that America leads in. And uh, one uh, aspect of that is that it uh, it could be complicated. In fact, my guest has reminded me that, you know, emergency medicine is... Um, something that uh, has become a, a, a highly specified, as much as it deals with a general combination of conditions, it's a highly specific uh, area of medicine, and we're going to be talking about that. We're we're going to drill down and get some insight into what it's like uh, to uh, work in an emergency uh, medical capacity and to even manage uh, that function. I'm very pleased to have as my guest Dr. Kenneth Miller. Welcome to the Business Hour, Dr. Miller. Well, thank you. Happy to be here. Um, the state of emergency medical care, how it's changed through the years, uh, what you've personally seen and 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 uh, treated uh, in the emergency room are, are, are things that we'll be talking about. I do want to say that uh, you um, head the emergency medical uh, group at St. Joseph's Hospital, the Emory University St. Joseph's Hospital of Atlanta, which uh, uh, has a uh, quite a good reputation, and and let's just start off by talking about, um, you know, I think that, uh, and in the promo, I I, I have um, stated that not all emergency rooms are the same; that uh, not only uh, are there different ranges of care uh, in some cases, um, but different levels of quality. How would you characterize uh, St. Joe's certainly being at a large uh, hospital in a sophisticated medical community, the medical community of of Atlanta, North Metro Atlanta, being associated with Emory is going to cover a lot of uh, different kinds of emergency medical conditions. How would you uh, characterize what what the ER uh, at St. Joseph's Hospital is is equipped to deal with. Can you can you handle just about anything that comes in the door? Well, I think probably most most emergency departments can, you know, they'll handle anything that comes in through through the door. But uh, some will do a better job than others. I mean, you have you have some that are that specialize in trauma that are trauma centers, which we're not. There are hospitals that specialize in pediatrics, um, Children's Healthcare of Atlanta specializes in pediatrics yet still most departments if trauma comes in you you, you you're equipped to deal with it if a pediatric patient comes in you're equipped to deal with it um, and, but um, you know at our hospital we, we we're not a trauma center we do see some trauma um, but we pretty much deal with everything else that comes in through the door and that basically is just about every aspect of medicine in some sense, because Atlanta has a, uh, a a large medical community and lots of facilities. In fact, I was looking uh, at the Emory University uh, website and saw that there were a lot of affiliates of Emory throughout the, the metro area, highly sophisticated and, 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 and quite large. Um, 
in smaller communities, I would imagine they do have to be more uh, trauma care uh, oriented. You know, uh, farm accidents, severe farm accidents. Uh, uh, here, it might be gunshot wounds, uh, but in a rural community, it, it, it still could be something which falls in the category uh, of trauma. So, uh, uh, some small ERs, of which there wouldn't be uh, many in a in a in a large rural uh, region uh, of the country. Uh, but they might be set up to deal with a little bit more. But here, in some sense, um, the we as patients have the luxury, uh, parents have the luxury of a, of, a, of a place like Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. And so that might be, in some cases, where a child, uh, would you call it referred? Could you, could you end up sending someone over to Children's Health Carolina, which is fortunately only a few blocks away from St. Joseph's? Sure. I mean, we, I mean, if we, if there's a sick child that comes in, we'll, obviously we'll stabilize them, but then we'll try to transfer them to a pediatric facility, um, where they have, you know, they have the expertise, much more expertise, not just with the physicians, but the, the whole staff in dealing with children. But I think at small rural hospitals, that's oftentimes what they do is they stabilize and then transfer because in, in multiple areas because they may not have the, the, the staff or the facilities to, to treat them. Yeah, in fact, I, 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 I stand corrected. I, I, I guess that's what they would do is, is, is stabilize even the most uh, traumatic injury and uh, then get them to a trauma center somewhere. But depending on the size of the hospital, uh, one time I did work at a very small 25-bed hospital, and that's exactly, we, we, it wasn't just for trauma patients, but it was um, you know, medical uh, people with heart attacks, strokes, um, infectious diseases. We would stabilize them, and then we'd either helicopter them to a larger facility or we'd... Uh, put them in an ambulance and transfer them to a larger facility. That's pretty common, I think, in, in small hospitals throughout the country. You, you had mentioned that uh, one of the, the differences, for example, uh, between uh, the field uh, of emergency medicine or specifically an emergency medical um, department at a hospital um, between the department and other areas of medicine is the sheer diversity that 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 you see, you know, walking in the door, uh, and and maybe the volume as well. Is that is that true? Well, yeah, we see the basically most emergency departments will see whoever walks in the door, and that could be it could be any type of medical emergency, um, you know, from ophthalmology to Gynecology to diabetic emergency—it's it's whoever comes or through the door. Orthopedic injuries, orthopedics. Yeah. I mean, you name it. That's the whole idea of an emergency department. Now we have backup. We have people on staff. So one important thing, and not just emergency medicine, but anything in medicine, is to know your limitations. Um, if you feel like you're getting into an area that you need help, well, then you you can call in specialists to come in and assist you. Um, that's one of the advantages of working in a, in a larger hospital, that you have um, the backup is, is, is excellent. Um, and does that, that happen uh, very frequently? Do you find that you're, you're checking with colleagues uh, in, the, uh, 
in the building, so to speak, in the in the actual hospital, related to uh, could be uh, ophthalmological or uh, you know, as you pointed out, uh, gynecological uh, or or even orthopedic. Uh, you know, is that does that happen quite often? Well, if was, yes, and I mean, particularly if we admit them to the hospital, we don't we don't take care of them in the once they're admitted, so we're admitting them to. Uh, specialist, if someone comes in with a, a broken bone that needs surgery, you know we'll diagnose it, we'll stabilize it, and then uh, contact the orthopedic doctor, get them admitted, and they'll they'll do what's necessary to perform the surgery the later that day or the next day. Well, that uh, that certainly would be an advantage of being in a hospital where uh, I'm not going to have to leave the facility to. Uh, to have uh, surgery performed, uh, and and also I would imagine that areas uh, related to cardiac uh, conditions, uh, uh, if I'm not mistaken, St. Joe's has a uh, a, a large, uh, very sophisticated cardiology and uh, and, a, and a range of expertise. So, um, pardon the uh, reference, but it's sort of a one-stop shop for matters r- related to cardiac conditions. Right, it does, but you know, there are a lot of hospitals, particularly in, in any metropolitan area, that that have um, cardiac, large cardiac facilities. But particularly when it comes to you know heart attack, uh, time is of the essence. So you you want to try to reverse the process as quickly as possible and minimize the amount of damage that's done, and that can have a, a, a great effect on you know your, your future well-being. Um, you um, had mentioned to me in a, in a, in a conversation before uh, today that you know you're just constantly uh, questioning, you know, what it could be that's not readily apparent. You know, I mean, it, it almost uh, because it, things can be of an emergency nature by definition, uh, as opposed to something you make an appointment for and you go in and you see your physician. And it could be a fairly serious condition, but the, the clock may not quite be ticking the way it is in an emergency medical situation and so the second guessing of whether or not you're you know you're 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 diagnosing it correctly has got to be enormous i would imagine i think one the the mindset is a little bit different than other areas i think a lot of areas people when someone when you when a physician sees someone with a problem it's like what's the most likely thing it could be our approach oftentimes is what's the worst thing it could be not necessarily what's the most likely, but just to make sure we don't miss the life-threatening problem, even if it's even if it's not likely, but it's still possible. So that's how we're always questioning ourselves, just to make sure we're not overlooking a, a very serious condition. And when you're thinking about those possibilities, you know, do you back out of this could be the 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 severity of of the condition here's what i need to do to make sure that it isn't that condition well right i mean i think we're you're constantly questioning yourself you know am i missing something um because the consequences can be so great so it's it's constantly going through your mind when just to make sure you're not overlooking something serious now, um, 
At, at one point in time, because I know that you uh, studied uh, internal medicine, and you studied internal medicine at a point in time when uh, emergency medicine probably just wasn't as prevalent as a major as it is today. And you made it clear to me that it's become so highly specialized uh, that, um, you know, possibly had you done it over, you might have been an emergency uh, medical uh, student sooner. Um, I'm... uh, um, wondering, you know, what kinds of, uh, how you would characterize the nature uh, of emergency medicine as a distinct um, area of specialty, um, because I do, after talking to you prior to today, have this distinct impression that it is a a a, a separate specialty uh, into and of itself, and I, I I'd like you to characterize that we're going to be taking a break. And when we come back, maybe you could address, uh, you know, just exactly, because I think there are probably a lot of misconceptions out there. Uh, a lot of people probably just think that you're emergency uh, general practitioners, and that's not the case. We're going to take a break. We're here with Dr. Ken Miller. We're going to be talking about emergency medicine right after this break. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Understanding health insurance is becoming more challenging. If you currently have insurance, you've probably noticed that it costs more to see your doctor. And if you're able to keep your doctor, it takes longer to get an appointment. The bad news is this trend is projected to continue. Your costs will likely continue to rise, while your health care choice and access will continue to fall. The good news is Peachtree ENT Center has the answer to this problem. We believe in taking care of the whole patient because healing is more than writing a prescription. We are committed to working with you, and we specialize in providing affordable care for patients without insurance, those who are underinsured, and those with high deductibles or catastrophic coverage, and we offer same-day appointments. You no longer have to choose between staying healthy and paying bills because Peachtree ENT Center is where patient care counts. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Business Hour. We're here with Dr. Kenneth Miller, who heads the emergency medical department at the St. Joseph's Emory University Hospital here in Atlanta. And we've been talking about the range of, of, of conditions that an emergency room might uh, focus on and uh, how an emergency room really has evolved to become, or emergency medicine uh, has evolved to become a specialty all in and of itself, and that's why you can have a, a residency in, in emergency medicine. And would you explain, you know, how emergency medicine, in your opinion, uh, is different from um, 
let's say even if somebody's studying to be a general practitioner, which means they're going to be covering a, a wide range uh, of uh, focusing on a wide range of conditions that they that they uh, deal with. Um, but emergency medicine is e- is even different. It's not just like an emergency. I don't know if it's a misnomer to say you. You are an emergency general practitioner, but because you deal with such a diversity, um, maybe you could explain a little bit about how it's distinct. Well, I think a general practitioner, a lot of the training is is office-based and um, treatment that goes on for over a period of time. It could go on for for days, weeks, months, years. It's someone that you follow and and where emergency medicine, we're dealing with a very, the very acute aspect of the disease of when someone comes in and just that, that first several hours to, to diagnose, treat, stabilize, and get them to the uh, appropriate care that they need. It's just a different mindset. There is, obviously, there is some overlap, um, but I think it's a, you look at the patient very differently you know where one you're the general practitioner you're following that person and following their outcomes and seeing how they do where we're just um we have a very short period of time that we're taking care of someone yeah i I guess the the key words here would be um uh, acute uh diagnose stabilize and not cross over into long-term treatment uh as, as a general practitioner um, Although, unfortunately, the healthcare situation where it is, we do do a fair amount of primary care in the emergency department just because that may be the only place that certain people can go for their care. Um, uh, well, speaking of, uh, of treating conditions where you know it falls in the category of primary care, uh, because there are a number of uh, facilities uh, in every metro area, you know, um, what some might refer to as a dock in a box, um, um, some of which provide, in all likelihood, quite good emergency, uh, you know, urgent care. Um, but uh, there's got to be an advantage, uh, and we've sort of touched on it, you know, to to going to an emergency room in a large hospital in terms of just the sheer um, ability. Uh, one um, example might be um, the need for a, a, a CAT scan, um, you know, f- uh, medical imaging, um, the whole field uh, of radiology. You know, if you have a radiology department, you know, an imaging group, uh, it's there. Uh, the, and that would set most large emergency rooms apart from a smaller urgent care uh, facility. Is that is that fair to say? Yeah. Well, I think urgent care is a different. It's a, the, the, they're serving a different population. I mean, they're serving uh, you know minor illnesses, um, minor orthopedic illnesses, minor from respiratory illnesses, um, and an otherwise healthy population. If further testing, advanced imaging is needed, then that's not the place to, to go. Um, if it isn't needed, that may be very well the, the, a better place to go. It's, it's, oftentimes it's, uh, the treatment may be faster. It's less expensive than going to an emergency department. 
However, if you do need advanced imaging and further testing, then that's then then not that's not what they're set up to do. I hadn't really given it a great deal of thought, but I would imagine that uh, first responders, uh, emergency medical technicians, may be making that call um, at the scene of an accident, for example, or or a house call. Um, and in some cases, they would encounter conditions that are can be dealt with at an urgent care facility. But in other cases, they're making the call that it has to go to an ER. Well, if, if they're transporting a patient, they, d- they don't take them to an urgent care center. They'll take them to the emergency department. The, the, that, that decision is usually made by the person themselves where to go. Right, right. But I'm thinking of some people who, for some reason, they think that they're bleeding and that they need, uh, they call 911, ambulance shows up, and uh, they, I guess they get instructed to drive themselves to a, an urgent care facility versus, as you just put it, if they're transporting someone, they're transporting them to an ER. Right, although it's it's not always easy for the EMTs to make that decision. Um, sometimes it's it may be obvious, but oftentimes if there's any question, it's probably better that they get evaluated at the emergency department. When in doubt, go to the uh, emergency room. Uh, in fact, there are, um, uh, speaking about the kinds of conditions that would, would, would lead you to uh, an emergency room. The um, American College of Emergency uh, Physicians has identified ten medical conditions, and uh, you know you looked at this list and you said, "Yeah, that's that's a pretty complete list." But let's sort of take them uh, one by one um, because, and I'll, I'm going to go through them, and we'll come back. Difficulty in breathing, shortness of breath, chest uh, or upper abdominal pain or pressure, uh, fainting dizziness, weakness, lack of mobility, changes in vision, confusion or changes in mental status, any sudden or severe pain, uncontrolled bleeding, severe or persistent vomiting or diarrhea, coughing or vomiting blood. And then another area that has like, uh, probably been added to the list in the last decade or two is our suicidal or homicidal feelings which you pointed out to me, you, you do see people um, that are have thoughts of, of suicide. I don't know if they come to you with thoughts of homicide, but you've dealt with people um, that have thoughts about suicide. So um, let's, let's take uh, difficulty breathing, shortness of breath. Uh, how does a person determine, you know, they're walking up the stairs and it seems more labored than ever, but, but they're not sure if it's of an emergency nature. But they, they think they are having um, real difficulty breathing. Uh, what, what are what are what are some specific signs there? Well, I mean, I always tell people, particularly with things that could be life threatening, breathing difficulties, chest pain, that you can overreact lots of times, and there's no harm is done, but you don't want to underreact one time. Um, the problem with overreacting is just the the um, cost of having to be treated or the, the inconvenience of spending time in an emergency department. But if there's something serious going on, that may be, time may be of the essence. Things like difficulty breathing, obviously breathing is a fairly important uh, 
function that we all do, and if you're having trouble breathing, it, it needs to be evaluated. Now, it may not be serious. It could be anywhere from an anxiety attack to a cold, but it could be something much more serious than that. What What are one or two of those, um, as an example, what are one or two of those things that could be more serious? Well, it could be... Um, I mean, it could be related to your heart. It could be heart failure. It could be just a heart attack. It could be related to your lung. It could be a blood clot in your lung. It could be pneumonia. It could be collapsed lung. Um, the, there are multiple things. Okay, well, the, and, and I would imagine, you know, if you're having heart problems and, and you're not getting a good blood supply to your lungs, it would definitely have an effect on your ability to breathe. You can, although people present in unusual fashion. Oftentimes, women with heart disease will present with shortness of breath more so than pain. Um, Versus men that might experience... Although men may have the same thing, but more often it, it may be a little bit different in, with women, um, particularly someone, that, someone that's short of breath when they exert themselves. You have to take it seriously and... and that's not a normal thing that should happen. Why is it different for women than men? I'm not sure. I know. I'm not sure anyone knows. Um, let's let's then talk about chest or upper uh, abdominal pain or or pressure. Uh, that's got to be one of those areas uh, that is uh, certainly a mystery for the uh, the patient because. Uh, uh, you probably see a lot of people with a really bad case of indigestion in many cases. Um, but um, w- w- how is chest, uh, for example, uh, how, how might it differ from upper abdominal pain and how might it be similar? Well, it, it, it sometimes people with... That's, some things that you would think be related would be chest pain may feel it in their upper abdomen. Sometimes people with abdominal problems may feel it in their chest. So it's it's there's a lot of overlap there. It's a, 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 it'd be a lot easier if it was as simple as oh if you have this problem it's this and if you have a pain here then it has to be something else. But there. There's a lot of overlap where it could be uh, a number of things. So tell us how you might typically go about, um, and and, and there may not be any typical, quote-unquote, but there are probably some general procedures you might take, and some of it might involve, uh, you know, diagnostic technology, um, um, x-rays or other kinds of imaging. uh, But how would you go about helping someone determine whether or not uh, the chest pain isn't just a bad case of, of indigestion versus a, a real cardiac problem. Actually, there are different scores that you can do that can give you a better, they can give you a statistical um, evaluation. Unfortunately, you never get to zero, but you, there are things that you can look at where you can say, well, this person has a 2% chance of it being their heart or 5% chance. Now, unfortunately, with any individual, it's either 100% or 0%, but there are things called, something called the heart score, where you look at, you take into someone's, take their age, um, how they, what their symptoms sound like, the EKG, what the EKG looks like, blood tests, uh, risk factors, 
and you put that all together, and you can come up actually with a with a number that can give you a statistical um, decision of of. And uh, and is that literally being undertaken as a a scoring? Um, uh, are are you consciously gathering that data, and and a score is being calculated, or is? And you and I had a discussion about how you know good physicians in general, but particularly emergency room physicians who are relying on data, are also relying on experience and and almost a sense of intuition, um, uh, because you've sort of seen it before, and you you realize you should drill down further. And I don't want you to answer just now. We'll, we'll, we'll think about that for a bit during the break. We'll come back after the break and continue on with Dr. Ken Miller. We're talking about emergency medicine, and, and Dr. Miller's offering some insight into a field that uh, has become highly specialized. We'll learn more about it right after this break. Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. Your auto love and investment demands the best, and for 45 years, Passport Transport has been meeting those demands. From manufacturers to the one-car collectors and all other facets of the auto industry and antique auto hobby. The first and the finest with unequaled service and peace of mind. Passport Transport, your auto transportation company. Contact PassportTransport.com with your need today. Passport Transport. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. Do you have problems with sinus pain and pressure? Do other people smell things that you don't? Have you lost the joy in eating because food just doesn't taste like it used to? Is your nose always stuffy no matter what you do? Maybe you have sinus or nasal polyps. These are generally benign growths that occur from chronic sinus infection or allergies that are either undertreated or have not been treated at all. At Peachtree ENT Center, we specialize in minimally invasive balloon dilation sinus surgery and correction of a deviated nasal septum and turbinate reduction surgery that can be done in the office. We use a state-of-the-art equipment so that you can see the problem. You will be a partner in your care, and together we will decide the course of treatment. We believe in old-fashioned medicine, where we take the time to fix the problem, not just medicate the symptoms. You can rest assured that all options will be offered before surgery is recommended, because Peachtree ENT Center is where patient care counts. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Business Hour. I'm Ron Camacho, your host, and today we're with Dr. Kenneth Miller, the head of the emergency medical department at St. Joseph's Emory University Hospital here in Atlanta, and we've been talking about various aspects of emergency medical um, conditions and and, uh, diagnosis and and, uh, um, stabilizing of of, uh, patients. and we were going through a list of, of various uh, conditions and uh, um, 
you know, before the break, we were talking uh, about, uh, um, uh, you know, what goes into. Uh, we had talked about, you know, cardiac conditions and uh, uh, abdominal pain and how uh, they can um, be related, uh, and, and and yet different. And uh, um, I was asking whether or not, in some cases, you know, you were relying upon. Uh, um, new technologies for 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 diagnosis, um, and and specifically, someone comes in with a uh, a severe chest pain, and and it is possible that it could be a, a really bad case of digestion. But when you begin that process of diagnosis, uh, if you, uh, what are some of the diagnostic? Uh, uh, procedures these days, and 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 maybe even let's talk about how uh, it's been improved through imaging. Um, but what are some of the diagnostic approaches that you might take uh, related to uh, chest or upper abdominal pain? Well, I mean, if you're concerned with, you know, say a cardiac condition, um, oftentimes we'll do we can do stress tests or nuclear stress tests that. Um, look at the blood flow to the heart and gives you an idea if there's a, a blockage to one of the arteries in the heart, which is what leads to a heart attack. If, if there's, you know, the EKG is very abnormal and it's, it's pretty obvious there's a heart issue, then you may do a cardiac catheterization where they actually inject dye and see if there's a blockage in the heart. Um, in terms of abdomen, uh, CAT scans that you can do to look at the Abdomen ultrasounds, particularly looking at the gallbladder. Um, In fact, people, um, I think, typically have associated ultrasound with uh, more with uh, uh, detecting, uh, you know, pregnancy or you know, uh, uh, fetal conditions. But uh, but you pointed out to me that it's become quite helpful in other diagnostic situations. Well, yes, you can use it for. like I mentioned before, looking at your gallbladder is probably it's probably the best test for evaluating the gallbladder. That um, trauma patients, you can do a quick look at the abdomen, see if there's blood in the abdomen with an ultrasound. You can do this at the bedside. Um, you can look at the heart. You can see is there f- fluid around the heart. Um, in fact, you had mentioned uh, you know that in the past uh, there there might be. Uh, an, an error rate, we'll call it, related to uh, the removing of an appendix, but that that uh, diagnosis has become significantly improved. Well, uh, be, uh, unfortunately, I'm old enough to remember when uh, we didn't do CAT scans very often for uh, abdominal problems, and there was a feeling that if you came in with the, with abdominal pain and you were concerned about appendicitis, then you would just take the person to surgery and remove the appendix. They used to say that a surgeon, if they removed less than 15% of normal appendixes, they weren't taking enough people to surgery. Well, you know, these days we tend to do CAT scans much more often and we can make a, a definitive diagnosis of appendicitis. So that's probably not the case anymore. And it, and it would not have been... Uh, a significant problem necessarily it might have been an expense associated with removing the appendix 
but because it didn't perform necessarily a vital function, or shall I ask you straight away, do we know what the appendix does any more than we did in the past? I'm not sure that what the function is. It's it's still a mystery, and yeah. but we do know that it doesn't have to be removed uh, in all cases as it might have been in the past. Right. Let's uh, talk about you mentioned before the break. We also I also also wanted to revisit this notion of determining. Uh, the need for uh, more, uh, I guess it would be uh, acute uh, care uh, by scoring, uh, you know, you've got age, you've got gender, you've got uh, existing conditions uh, that sort of help you determine a composite score, if you will. Is it literally something that, that, that gets scored and, uh, and you, 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 you know there's an 80% chance it, it sort of crosses over a threshold or doesn't, that it could be a, a cardiac arrest or, or something along those lines? Well, there are actually scores that we use for all different types of uh, illnesses. This, In terms of the heart, it's called a heart score. Um, we pretty much do that on anyone that comes in with chest pain. You'll determine a score. Now, again, it's a guideline. So there are times that you, even with a low score, you may feel like I'm still concerned, and that takes precedence over the score. And um, yes, go ahead. But, you know, we do it for all sorts of things. People that come in with head trauma, the need for a CAT scan. There are certain things you look at, and if they don't fit the criteria, they don't need a CAT scan of their head. Um, because, you know, there are the, a CAT scan is uh, all these things in there's, there's radiation involved, and it's not a totally benign thing to do, although it's a safe procedure. So, you, you and I had a conversation about uh, the role of, uh, of uh, intuition, and you know, a, a lot of people uh, think of intuition as uh, almost being uh, unscientific, um, and uh, the. Uh, the notion of uh, intuition, given my undergraduate graduate psychology background, is one uh, where uh, intuition is is information that hasn't quite been uh, logically assembled. So you're not really conscious of it, but it's there, and you're drawing upon it. And I would think that in many cases, uh, particularly as you become more experienced, that that gnawing away that some there could be something else that you know that there's a little red flag in your head that says I need to maybe drill down a little bit further, and that you have a better sense of intuition. Which, in my opinion, I want my emergency room physician to have that that uh, score me, to undertake all the conventional approaches. But if there's some doubt that you know intuitively you're thinking there could be more here, I I want that. Uh, intuitive approach to be a part of that total diagnosis, and I'm wondering, you know, does in some sense that play a part in uh, often when you're just not quite sure that even though the data is directing you in one way, you know, the percentages are high or low, you still think there could be something else you need to look for? Well, I think you have to take that into consideration. I mean, there are times that you have this feeling that something different is going on, and you may still be wrong that there isn't something different going on, but you still have to take that into consideration. I mean, uh, 
everything everything plays a role in this the the hard facts the scores that we do intuition that all comes it all comes together and then you come up with a plan um I wanted to uh, ask you about uh, whether uh, the emergency medical room, oh, the, the emergency medical record uh, has helped, uh, um, and you and I sort of touched on this, the, the, the function of, the, uh, of, of emergency care. You know. I think it's still uh, an acting process here. Um, right now, it, it, the new emergency medical record, it... It can collect tremendous amounts of data, but it has made us much more inefficient in the emergency. It has slowed us down. I think we spend less, we spend more time in front of a computer and less time in front of a patient than in the old days. I mean, there's there are some advantages. Right. Doctor, excuse me for breaking in, but I'm curious, at what point in, in the ER do you see that uh, before long we'll all have chips with uh, electronic medical records where almost like the dog, the cat, and everybody else, or everything else, that uh, you go into an ER, you may be unconscious, and uh, and it's hard to pull up records, hard to know. So if you had a, had a chip embedded, you could scan the chip and have all the records. Um, I don't know. It seems like we may be a ways away from that. One of the problems with this is is how much data is in there. Sometimes there can be data overload. So there's so much data that trying to find the important information just takes a lot of time. Um, even people that we see regularly, they may have everything is in the computer, but trying to, s- by everything, it means every little thing is in there and trying to sift through that to find the important information is sometimes tedious. Yeah, you had mentioned also just uh, not only were you spending time uh, on the computer uh, trying to access uh, uh, data, but also even interacting with staff, you know, like um, just uh, communicating with nurses oftentimes is not done, you know, you don't always have the benefit of face-to-face communication. Well, we communicate often, well we still communicate face to face, but there's more communicating through the computer and putting an order in and then it comes up to the nurse and there's something lost by not by not always talking about it um, the, the, the fear always is is people become task oriented and don't think about exactly, they don't think about what they're, what they're doing but just completing a task and you know that's a challenge, and uh, again, this uh, the electronic medical record is a work in prog- process, progress, and uh, hopefully, in time, it's going to be a, a, a great improvement. But it's 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 caused a lot of stress in the department. You know, fainting, sudden dizziness, uh, sudden weakness, uh, and a lack of mobility. Um, you had. Uh, I, I'm going to have you can you can you can clarify things uh, here uh, as I make them obscure. Uh, but uh, you had mentioned to me that uh, strokes, for example, uh, don't always have uh, distinct uh, symptoms and don't have necessarily pain. Um, can fainting, sudden dizziness, weakness, and lack of mobility be related to a stroke, for example? 
and is that part of why you need to be aware uh, well, that that it could be serious? Yeah, I mean, fainting is actually unusual for a stroke. Um, usually, to lose consciousness requires both sides of the brain. A stroke usually requires one side of the brain. Well, there are exceptions, um, but dizziness, weakness. One of the pro- there there is treatment for strokes, but there, it's very time sensitive, so you need to be seen quickly to get things done quickly. One of the problems with stroke, as opposed to other um, diseases, is it doesn't hurt. Um, you may have some trouble speaking or some weakness, but you're not in pain. As a result, a lot of times people wait to see if it doesn't get better, or if. Uh, I'm sure if they were hurting with these symptoms, they would seek help right away. And the problem is sometimes the the, the time involved in treating someone it, it, we may lose that that opportunity. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll we'll, we'll cover a, a few more of these uh, conditions uh, that uh, should raise a red flag. We're here with Dr. Ken Miller. We've been talking about emergency medicine. We'll be ba- back to talk with Dr. Miller more right after this break. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose, and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on americaswebradio.com. 45 years of experience is behind the most trusted name in auto transportation. Passport Transport, the first and finest today. That's why Passport Transport is the preferred auto transport for major auto manufacturers, concours, museums, tours, and collectors, and should be your choice from across the state to across the country. When you have the need, go to PassportTransport.com and enjoy the peace of mind referenced experience will give you. Passport Transport. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Business Hour. We're here with Dr. Kenneth Miller of the Emergency Medical Department at Emory St. Joseph's Hospital here in Atlanta. We've been talking about various aspects of emergency medicine, and we're covering some uh, 
classic, if you will, medical conditions that the American College of Emergency Physicians uh, has identified as, as areas uh, to consider and, and be concerned with. Um, we had talked about difficulty with breathing, upper uh, chest, upper abdominal or chest pain or pressure. Uh, we just talked about uh, fainting, sudden dizziness, weakness, lack of mobility, and how that might be related to a stroke condition. Um, and uh, changes in vision uh, or changes in, 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 in your, your mental status where you're, you're confused. Um, I know those are different, and the changes in vision might be strictly ophthalmological, but uh, changes in vision with confusion or other changes in mental status, could those be related to stroke? Yeah, definitely. Um, that's like, that may be a common presentation for a stroke. Usually it's, you know, one-sided weakness, difficulties with speech, difficulties with vision, particularly double vision, um, confusion, all those things certainly could be related to stroke now, and they also could be related to other things, but that's certainly what you, you would want to uh, consider and rule out quickly. And it, it, in your experience, do a lot of people, uh, let me put it this way, do you see patients that have that uh, change in vision or a, a distinct uh, sense of confusion um, that ignored it previously, that, that, that thought it was going to go away uh, before the, at, at another time before they came to see you, and this is now uh, reoccurring, and it is something that might be linked to stroke? Yeah, I think and sometimes it's human nature for people to say, well, let's see if it doesn't just get better. And, I mean, we all do that for all different things. Absolutely. Unfortunately, for if it is a stroke, it's so, in terms of treating it, it's so time-sensitive, it's critical to see someone as quickly as possible. So, in terms of the question I asked about whether they had a previous episode, um, maybe not so much because if it were a stroke then, uh, or, or, or they would have known it, or, or can you have a mild, um, a mild variation on, on, a, on, a, on, a, on a condition that is stroke-related that you've sort of blown off. You've just sort of said, oh, well, and then later on it happens again. Yeah, you, you can have what's called a TIA or a transient ischemic attack where people may have stroke-like symptoms that may last, you know, minutes to hours and then resolve. And what it may be is a warning sign about a future stroke. It's sort of like people that have, have chest pain that goes away that's a warning sign about a, a possible heart attack. Um, it, it implies at least a transient period where you're not getting enough blood flow to a portion of the brain, and then it res res resolves, so there's no actual damage that's done. In situations like that, again, it's best to treat, it's best to, the best way to treat a stroke is to prevent it from happening. You know, I, I do think... Uh, this is my perception that most people, if and and, and you know we're talking about pain as an indicator of of, of illness, and 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 often people don't uh, uh, relax re, um, 
react to their own condition unless there's significant pain. It's part of the human nature that you referred to. Um, but I would assume that with sudden and severe pain, certainly with uncontrolled bleeding, uh, severe or persistent uh, vomiting or diarrhea, or coughing or vomiting blood, people pretty much know at that point that, that they should come uh, into the emergency room. I, am I mistaken? Are those uh, things that you see um, at, that people don't ignore? Yeah, I mean, the, the, there are, we're dealing in different things in terms of the emergency department. We have the people that come in that are deathly ill when they come in. That is no question there. What we've been talking a lot about are the subtleties of someone that comes in with a particular symptoms and trying to determine is there something serious or not going on. I mean, in some ways, that's the most stressful part of the job is 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 not the person that comes in with something that's pretty obvious what's going on, even if they're quite sick. We're sort of trained to handle that. The, the stressful part is just making sure that you're not overlooking something more serious and yeah, and I would imagine that that is a part of uh, what makes uh, emergency medicine so challenging and, and not boring is that even in situations where it doesn't look like someone's deathly ill, but you're still having to figure out what is it that is causing that uh, moderate pain or, or that, that moderate discomfort. What about uh, homicidal uh, feelings? Uh, are, are you seeing... Um, people coming into the ER that are feeling homicidal, and have you ever encountered anyone who was feeling homicidal? Probably almost daily. Maybe not homicidal, but suicidal. Almost daily, homicidal, maybe weekly. Um, the problem is the mental health situation in this country is really not very good. So we have people that come in we, with, with these feelings, and it's not always we're not a psychiatric facility and most hospitals are not a psychiatric facility so we we again make sure they're stabilized then we try to transfer them to a, a psychiatric hospital but most the psychiatric hospitals are totally full so we have people that will spend days in the emergency department waiting for a bed to open up at a psychiatric facility um you have any advice for uh, someone who's uh, thinking um maybe even uh, a, a pre-med student uh, or someone who's just entered medical school. Uh, any advice for, for someone who's thought that emergency medic, medicine could be a, 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 a career path? Well, I mean, in medical, medical school, I mean, there are people do rotations in the emergency department, and it's just, um, it doesn't, it, it, it appeals to certain personalities. And um, it's, I know many doctors that said they just they didn't like it because there was no follow-through. You just took care of the acute problem and then moved on. They, f- they wanted to follow the person for days and make sure, see how they, how they did and then maybe see them back in their office and have, develop more of a relationship with patients. In that case, it's not the right profession for someone. I would imagine that, that uh, coming to complete resolution does, just doesn't happen um, uh, all the time in the emergency medical room uh, m- might be with you know a simple broken bone which uh, you're still um, uh, stabilizing in some cases but still you know what it is and 
you can almost determine what the outcome will be. Um, but that there are so many situations where you've stabilized, and that's the last I mean, you've seen of the patient. You know, we always talk about it um, in the department, particularly if someone comes in with a dislocation and we relocate it. There's a real sense we've actually fixed the problem and it's, it's done. Um, uh, there is a sense of satisfaction to have complete resolution. Well, I, I would imagine there's a sense of satisfaction. You know, we, 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 we associate um, uh, the practice of medicine with this sense of satisfaction that you're helping people to, to get well, to feel better, uh, to, to live a, a healthier, long life. Um, you don't always necessarily have that sense in the uh, ER, but there have to be times when you know that you've helped someone get through a life-threatening episode, and that's got to be very satisfying, yeah. only to be balanced out, as you pointed out to me, with all of those other situations where you've left in the course of a day and you've stabilized a lot of people, but there's well, not complete resolution. The, I mean, uh, don't get me wrong. There is a lot of satisfaction in the job. I mean, one thing we haven't touched on is oftentimes what we see are social problems. Um, and we're not, th- that can be very frustrating. The person that's a, a drug addict and we, they come in with an overdose, well, we fix that problem, but then they're still a drug addict. Right. We haven't you, fixed the underlying problem. You got them to, through that episode, but, but that there's a, uh, a real potential for for future problems. Um, well, I want to thank you for uh, taking the time to come on to uh, the business hour and to talk about the business of emergency medicine. Uh, you know, you've shared some insight into the field and the profession, and uh, we appreciate it. Well, thank you. I enjoyed it. You've been listening to the business hour here at America's Web Radio. We're on Fridays from ten to eleven a.m. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you on the radio and the internet internet next week. Bye-bye. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.